It is budget day in the province of British Columbia, so we're going to get a preview of that now with the help of Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. And you know I am a professional skeptic, and when the government makes a promise, I always say, yes, I'll write that down, but I'm going to check to make sure they keep it. But the finance minister yesterday made a promise that I think I can 100% guarantee. Wow. The new, Demo- the new Democrats will keep this promise. Okay, what is it? There's going to be a deficit today. <laughs> I think this government is quite capable of using all of its resources and ours as taxpayers to deliver a deficit budget. The finance minister said that's going to happen. And I say you can take that one to the bank. Okay. Now, they clearly laid the groundwork for this, which I thought was interesting because that was a different financial picture a year ago. Well, yes, it was. In fact, it was a different financial picture in the throne speech. So, you know, Monday's, uh, Tuesday's throne speech was just about all the wonders that have been accomplished and the NDP government, all the progress that has been made. Things are going really well in British Columbia. And that would be the sort of thing you would expect in an election year is the government telling you that everything's working thanks to them. So you get to the finance minister yesterday, so the day before the budget, a day later, and you say, what are you going to do? And she says there's going to be a deficit because it's right to have a deficit because people need help. And I go, well, if things are going as well as you guys say it is, why do you need a deficit, right? Is our, if things are going things really are well. Things are so great, yeah. Employment is, is ticking along, economy, everything, you know. And, and of course, you know, this, this thing that Politicians always say, Simi, to justify a deficit. Well, people need help. Well, you know, I mentioned this yesterday. I'll mention it again. John Horgan as premier and Carol James as finance minister, people needed help then too. And the government did a lot of things to give them help. But the John Horgan, Carol James budgets also were balanced. Some of them were in surplus. And because of that... When we really had a crisis, which is the pandemic, British Columbia's finances were in good shape. And as a result, we could afford to run deficits in that crisis. But the way David Eby and the new Katrina Conroy finance minister are talking, it sounds like we're moving on to the same ground as the Trudeau government nationally, which is every year you can find a reason to go into debt and run a deficit. It's, you know, where is the year when people don't need help and you can balance the budget? We'll see, but uh, the the rhetoric yesterday sounded like, yeah, the thing the New Democrats, the thing that's really needed here is votes for the NDP. So they're Hmm. going to talk about spending. They're going to talk about to contrast themselves with their opponents who would, of course, tear up the social contract and cancel all government programs, close the schools, all that stuff. I mean, governments do this sort of thing in the election year. You and I can remember, Simi, that, you know, the liberals were in power for 16 years and they never stopped talking about the dismal decade of the 1990s under the NDP. So... Now you've got the government drawing the contrast and saying, we'd run a deficit. Those guys over there wouldn't run a deficit because they don't care. You know, but what's fascinating to me about this is how times have changed, Vaughn, because as you point out, it's an election year this year, and it would have been, well, until now, 
unheard of for a governing party to run a deficit in an election year. Yeah, that's true. Uh, things have changed dramatically. I think uh, the the public, um, I mean, partly because the federal government has been has given up on the idea. You know, uh, it, it the John Cretchen and Paul Martin federal government really thought it was very important to manage the country's finances and. Uh, Martin had that lovely line about government borrowing, which is, you know, we can go ahead and borrow, but we haven't repealed the law of compound interest. It has to be paid back. I think now we are in an era where most political parties are reluctant. Once in a while, you get a surplus. Selena Robinson delivered a surplus of $6 billion last year. That didn't keep David Eby from firing her as finance minister. So... And you look south of the border and down there, and they influence our thinking, Simi, on things. The Republicans and the Democrats are both addicted to massive deficits, massive debt, and pretending like it never has to be repaid. So you're right. Times have changed. I don't think the government will pay a political price for this. But I do think Paul Martin was right that we still haven't repealed the law of compound interest. Mm-hmm. It has to be repaid. And Simi, as you know, interest rates are higher now. Yes. It used to be like free money when interest rates were down. Okay. So watching for that today, but is there anything else in the budget that you're going to be particularly keeping an eye on? Um, I want to see how big the capital plan is. Uh, the uh, business community has been pointing out that three huge mega projects, massive investments by the private sector and the public sector coming to an end. Site C is almost finished and being wound down. The TMX pipeline is coming into service and wound down. The big LNG terminal in Kitimat and the gas pipeline for it are, you know, past their peak employment. So the business community, very strong message. The government needs to be thinking about encouraging private investment, but also think about public investment. So I think that will be the other thing we'll all be looking at. And the tax change, you know, they've said we are, uh, David Eby's been saying for 18 months that there's going to be a tax on real estate flipping. Uh, The opposition said yesterday, uh, BC United, that they got no problem with that as a idea They think that speculation and flipping should be discouraged, but they want to see how the tax is actually going to work. It is easier to talk about such a tax, I gather, from what I'm hearing inside the government. It is easier to talk about that kind of tax than to design one that actually delivers the results you want. Okay, so we know what we're going to be watching for, and of course, we'll have complete coverage. Now, coming up on the show in the next hour, we're going to be speaking with the Minister Nathan Cullen about the uh, idea that they're now going to pause these changes, these amendments coming to the Land Act. This is something that Vaughn has been talking about for weeks now. So, Vaughn, were you surprised to hear this? Uh, I was, actually, because the government has been defending this process, and Cullen has gone out of his way after he talked to you originally to say that he recognizes that the consultation had a bad launch, but he was now consulting stakeholders and stakeholders were supportive. But uh, yesterday, midday, we get this announcement, press release, quoting Colin as saying they're backing off. Uh, The consultation is on hold. The amendments won't be introduced this session. And right after that, Nathan Cullen himself shows up for a news media scrum right in the legislature, right uh, in the corridor outside the chamber. 
Uh, he stands there. <laughs> BC United is conducting a pre-scheduled consultation on the budget. So he stands at the side and waits patiently for Peter Millibar or BC United to finish. And then he goes and does a news conference, tells us that he has come straight from cabinet. So that tells you that this wasn't Nathan Cullen's decision by himself. It was one of those joint decisions that David Eby's always talking about. And in this case, uh, you can gauge that the government realized this whole initiative was in serious, serious political trouble. And they did not want this festering in an election year. So they're backing away for now. Okay. So can you give us an idea? What do you, what kind of pushback would there have been at the cabinet table to realize that this thing that they'd been defending was going nowhere? Would they hear about from other cabinet members? Like, obviously, people in their communities were saying something. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, look, I've uh, had the feedback uh, since I started writing about this, as you said, three weeks ago, and we talked about it on your show a couple of times. Other uh, colleagues of ours covered the story as well. Justine Hunter at the Global Mail, and I know uh, Richard Zussman did some stuff for Global. So all of the feedback, and the feedback on this was heavy, was from people who, first of all, were angry that the government had launched this consultation, a public consultation, without telling the public. That led people to conclude the government was up to something and trying to hide something. And the second thing was the government, because it hadn't even announced it was doing it, they had not explained why they were going to amend the Land Act to enable co-management of the 95% of the province that is crown land to enable co-management of that land with the province's 200 indigenous nations. People didn't understand why they were not briefed on it. So not surprising, they thought the government was up to something. And the Angus Reid Foundation uh, Forum did an opinion poll last week, Simi, that showed all of that in detail. The public was angry, upset, confused, mystified, wanted more, wanted the government to take more time. I think it's a pretty good guess, Simi, that cabinet ministers and the premier's office heard the same feedback. And I wouldn't be surprised if the government checked the findings of the Reid poll with its own polling and went, this thing is in serious, serious trouble. We have to back off and start again. Okay, so are they going to start again? What is the timeline now? It'd be interesting to see what Colin says to you this morning. But he said, uh, what I heard him say was, they're not giving up on this. They're going to stay on this path. Well, if they're going to stay on this path, but not do it this spring, because it does require legislation, there's no fall session of yeah, the legislature. then what? So I assume if they win the election, this is coming back. And uh, they have a lot of work to do next time to make, uh, to get the public ready and to deal with the skepticism that arises out of the way they handled it this year but I don't think there's any doubt that if the NDP wins the election, you'll be hearing about this again, perhaps as soon as the next session of the legislature, which would presumably be right after the election or in the spring of 2025. Do you think that they also heard from Indigenous groups and people saying, uh, listen, you're making, you're, you're making trouble for us here? Yeah. You know, I think 
that's the real tragedy of this thing. And Colin Haffen acknowledged it at one point, that when the government does mishandle something in its dealings with First Nations as badly as this, the public doesn't, you know, Colin said, take your anger out on us, you know, take your anger out on him, right? But that's not what happens. People take their anger out on Indigenous people. Yeah. Adam Olson was very good on this yesterday, of the Greens. He, he actually supports what the government's trying to do here. But he said, look, you launched in an election year. You didn't tell the public you were doing it or why you were doing it. And Indigenous people get caught in the middle. They get all the nastiness, racism, screaming, yelling, upset, everything. It's totally unfair to them. And but he, and Olson said he thinks some of the commentary from the opposition parties was despicable and all that. But he's quite clear this opportunity, this opening for a better debate on this issue was created by the government the way they handled it. You know, if you consider the damage done to this issue, you wonder how Nathan Cullen survived as minister. Because yeah. this is very, very damaging to the whole cause of reconciliation with Indigenous people. It's created a wave of mistrust that will be very hard to manage. Colin yesterday blamed the opposition parties. You know, they said dog whistle politics and all that. Uh, no. I, think, I think Adam Olson was right. The government created this dynamic. Absolutely. And it's the government's fault that Indigenous people took all of this abuse and the government has a lot to answer for. And it'll be interesting to see what Nathan Cullen says about all that when we start, when he, when he logs in with you, which is what, yeah. just after 7 o'clock? Uh, coming up in the next hour, I think we're doing 7.30, just after the 7.30 news there. Because there, there were ways to do this, and this was not yep. the way to do this. But Vaughn, thank you so much for that. Okay. Great. Bye-bye, Simi. That is Vaughn Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun.